Hillary Clinton has been running a hate-filled and negative campaign. Hillary Clinton has? Really? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. On 88.5 FM KAKU in Hawaii, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. And in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And yep, Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, if not you, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. It is another another crazy week, another crazy day. I guess that is uh, the uh, 2016 election. Deal with it. Get used to it. Yes, I'm looking at you, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking in the mirror at me, Brad Friedman. Uh, get used to it. I guess we have no choice. Um, here's some news. A number of interesting stories reported in just the uh, the past 24 hours or so. Uh, authorities say that a New York City woman attacked two Muslim women who were pushing their young children in strollers and tried to rip off one woman's hijab. Court documents say that uh, Emergetta Jalili approached the woman near her Brooklyn home last week, punching one of them in the head as she screamed obscenities and told her to leave America. Authorities say Jalili pushed the woman's stroller towards the ground and later tried to grab the second woman's stroller away from her. Jalili faces charges including assault, menacing, and endangering the welfare of a child. The Brooklyn District Attorney's Office has described the incident as a hate crime. Oh, you think? Jalili is being held on $50,000 bond or $25,000 cash bail. Her lawyer tells the New York Daily News that Jalili has no previous arrests. She just decided to uh, attack two Muslim women for some reason in New York City, according to the Associated Press. They don't mention it. AP doesn't mention it. But uh, apparently social media postings identify this woman, Jalili, as an avid Donald Trump supporter. Who'd have guessed it? Shortly, yeah, shortly before the attack, Jalili made a series of social media postings attacking Muslims and African-Americans and had other postings cheering for Donald Trump. 
Uh, also reported within just the past 24 hours, uh, a woman wearing traditional Muslim clothing, also in New York City, has told police that a man lit her blouse on fire in New York. Police say the 35-year-old tourist told them she felt heat on her arms Saturday night in Midtown Manhattan and noticed her blouse was on fire. She said she padded out the fire and noticed a man standing nearby holding a lighter. Wow. She said the man then walked away. The New York Police Department Hate Crimes Task Force is investigating that as well as what? A possible bias crime. They ha- uh, there have been no arrests so far in, uh, in that particular story. But that's not all. That's just New York. That's just New York and just reported in the last 24 hours. Down in Florida, a Florida mosque where Orlando nightclub shooter Omar, Omar Mateen uh, had prayed that was set ablaze in an act of arson early on Monday, according to St. Lucie County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff's Major David Thompson said the surveillance video showed a person approaching the side of the Islamic Center of Fort Pierce just before a flash went off, according to the uh, Sun Sentinel. The person then fled the premises. No, no one was injured in the fire, which was set shortly after midnight. When the building was unoccupied, the Sentinel reported that the uh, sheriff's office has asked the FBI and U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives to join the investigation being led by local authorities and the state's fire marshal's office. Mateen, as you'll recall, went on a shooting rampage in June at an LGBT club in Orlando. He had worshipped periodically at the Islamic Center of Fort Pierce, reportedly. Imam Saeed Shafiq Raham told uh, CNN in an interview earlier this week that his mosque preached a message of peace. He said, so far as we here in Fort Pierce are concerned, we are always very conscious, consciously speaking about peace, about love, about unity. Rahman said, we came to this country. This country gave us everything, he said. Nonetheless, attacks on Islamic houses of worship have escalated in the past year. The Council for American Islamic Relations reports that 2015 marked a peak in the number of incidents targeting U.S. mosques. I wonder why. I wonder what happened in 2015. Yeah, there was a couple of terror attacks. Uh, There was also, as I recall, a major candidate for the presidency of the United States calling for a complete and total ban on uh, on um, Muslims coming into this country. Back to the story in Florida, uh, AP says a surveillance video from the mosques showed a man on a Harley Davidson type of motorcycle approaching the building with a bottle of liquid and some papers, then leaving when there was a flash and shaking his hands as though he may have uh, uh, he may have burned them. It took about four and a half hours for firefighters to extinguish the blaze at the mosque. No one has claimed responsibility for the attack. The arsonist, quote, is terrorizing our community because we don't know where he is at and we don't know what he is capable of doing, said Wilfredo. Amr Ruiz, a Florida spokesman for the Council on American-Islamic Relations. He was representing the mosque's leadership. There have been a series of attacks, apparently, uh, and threats on this place of worship since the Orlando nightclub attack. Ruiz said that first there was threatening voicemails, and then drivers would splash water on the parishioners leaving on Fridays, and then a member got beat up in the parking lot at this mosque when he came to to early morning prayers, and now, of course, the mosque has been set on fire. 
Michael Parsons, a uh, 22-year-old man uh, who apparently lives across the street, lives directly across the street from this mosque. Uh, he uh, he had said he had told AP that the Orlando sh- af- that uh, since the Orlando shooting, a lot of people quote have been driving by, hollering and yelling expletives at the church or mosque or whatever they call it. Parsons who is a gutter installer with a a tattoo that says trust no one on his chest, said his mother's cancer doctor attends the mosque. He said, quote, America was founded so people can believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. These guys flying the American flag on their trucks don't really know what the freedom is they're fighting for. So he sees these guys driving by with uh, American flags on their trucks, honking, yelling things at the mosque in Florida. So that's Florida. So we go from New York to uh, to Florida. But no, we are not done yet with stories just within the past 24 hours. A Western Oregon man is publicizing his antipathy towards Hillary Clinton by hanging hanging an effigy of the Democratic nominee on the side of an interstate highway on a great big crane, according to KVAL on Monday. The elaborate display put together by Billy Pittner of Sutherland, Oregon, consists of a rubber wetsuit adorned with women's clothing and a blonde wig hanging by the neck from a construction crane. Signs read, quote, vote Trump and, quote, treason? Ask her. Those signs hang off the crane along with several American flags. Because, you know, hanging people is quite American after all. Apparently. Uh, and evidently. The elaborate display put together uh, by Pittner uh, was explained to KVAL uh, <laughs> that, well, it was explained that a local priest had asked him to take the effigy down from its uh, spot on the shoulder of Interstate 5. Pittner said he was just exercising his First Amendment right and he planned to switch up the signs on the display daily. And it's true. You do have a First Amendment right, I guess, to hang people in effigy as long as it's not seen as a uh, as a as a call to violence. I guess he said, I'm allowed to have my feelings right, wrong or indifference. Pittner told the news station. Here you are. Got your attention, didn't it? Yes, it did, Mr. Pittner. A small but vocal contingent of conservatives. I guess we can call them conservatives, have lobbed treason charges at Clinton for her response to the Benghazi terrorist attacks and for allegedly exposing U.S. state secrets through her use of private email, uh, a private email server as secretary of state. The FBI in July found, of course, that there was no intentional misconduct by Clinton or her staff and that, quote, no reasonable prosecutor would pursue charges against against her related to that server. Well, thank you for noting that part, TPM. Uh, a lot of people, I, and I continue to see this. You know, we read on the show yesterday, uh, Desi Doyen, the, the email from Colin Powell explaining oh, how yeah. he had spent years as Secretary of, uh, Secretary of State skirting uh, the requirements for uh, making uh, emails and so forth available by using a private server, told Hillary Clinton exactly how to do it. And yet yeah, nobody seems to be calling for Colin Powell uh, to be tried for treason, to be hung, to be executed. GOP lawmakers, online commenters and a Veterans for Trump co-chair uh, have called for Clinton's execution. 
A West Virginia lawmaker who, by the way, also happens to be a United Airlines pilot, or he did. I think he's since been suspended. Uh, but he said that Clinton should be, quote, hung on the mall for, quote, treason, murder and crimes against the U.S. Constitution. All of that while Trump advisor Al Baldassaro said that she should be shot in a firing squad. She's an he Al Baldassaro is it actually an advisor to Donald Trump saying that Hillary Clinton should be shot in a uh, uh, by a firing squad. All of which leads us uh, to Donald Trump's <laughs> to Donald Trump's what was this uh, in North Carolina, I think, on uh, on Monday. He uh, had another rally and. um well, now he's he's saying that Hillary Clinton is uh, uh, the one who is actually deplorable. Here's a here's a little bit from that uh, from that rally in in uh, North Carolina. You know where yes. where this was Ash Ashland, North Carolina. I think it was, I think it was. Uh, somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah. Rally, North Carolina. Rally. In any event, uh, here's just a, a short clip of Donald Trump at that rally yesterday. Hillary Clinton has been running a hate-filled and negative campaign with no policy. No solutions and no new ideas. True. Well, my opponent slanders you as deplorable and irredeemable. I call you hardworking American patriots who love your country and want a better future for all our people. True. Actually, uh, he has uh, spent quite a bit of time over the past uh, years talking about half the country being losers. Nonetheless, while he was giving that, while Donald Trump was giving that uh, that statement uh, that Hillary Clinton has is running a hate-filled campaign, Ali Vitali of NBC News tweeted, quote, a Trump supporter just grabbed a protester by the neck, then punched him. The protester was escorted out. The man who punched him stayed. Of course. That was while Donald Trump was giving that speech, giving that speech, uh, you know, along with the rest of the Republicans who are just absolutely outraged that Hillary Clinton would dare call them deplorable. Really? The Washington Post described the uh, Trump rally in North Carolina on Monday as tense. Yeah, a little where Trump focused on Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables comment that uh, that came on Friday. A supporter shoved and punched two, uh, two male and one female protesters at the rally before the protesters were led out of the arena. And you can see the video of this. So the protesters uh, get smacked around by one of the Trump supporters. They get to stay. In the meantime, Trump is condemning what he described as Clinton's hate-filled campaign with no policies, no solutions, and no ideas, and the attacker was allowed to stay. Basket of horribles? Really? Uh, now, uh, Republicans have been po focusing on this, that they are just absolutely outraged by Hillary Clinton's comments, and she made it on, what was it, uh, Friday, I think, and then it right. came out on, on, on Saturday. They are just, they can't believe that Hillary Clinton would call them this, and of course, good for her for doing it. However, some media outlets have bothered to play the, f the full context of the clip. Most have not. 
So most have, uh, you know, been wringing their hands. How will Hillary survive after calling a basket of horribles and focusing on the process rather than, uh, you know, what she actually said in full? So she was giving a full speech. She was talking about LGBT rights and a whole bunch of other things. We're going to play, though, um, both parts, both baskets, if you will, of what Hillary Clinton had to say uh, at this speech on Friday. Uh, sorry if you've heard it already. You're one of the lucky few because most people have not because the, the media has been focusing only on that one thing as they uh, underscore the uh, Republicans fake outrage about being called called out for what they are, which is, by the way, a basket of horribles and deplorables. Here she is. You know, to just be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. He has given voice to their websites that used to only have 11,000 people. Now have 11 million. He tweets and retweets. They're offensive, hateful, mean-spirited rhetoric. Now, some of those folks, they are irredeemable, but thankfully they are not American. But the other basket, the other basket, and I know because I look at this crowd, I see friends from all over America here. I see friends from... Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and Texas and as well as, you know, New York and California. But that other basket of people are people who feel the government has let them down, the economy has let them down, nobody cares about them, nobody worries about what happens to their lives and their futures. And they're just desperate for change. It doesn't really even matter where it comes from. They don't buy everything he says, but he seems to hold out some hope that their lives will be different. That they won't wake up and see their jobs disappear. Lose a kid to heroin. Feel like they're in a dead end. Those are people we have to understand and empathize with as well. So that was Hillary Clinton, uh, the, the full context of what she had to say, both baskets, the, the first basket, the basket of deplorables, and then that other basket of people uh, who feel that the government has left them, left them down, the economy has let them down, nobody cares about them, nobody worries about what happens to their lives. They're desperate for change. They feel like they're in a dead end. And uh, those are people we have to understand and empathize with as well. That was Hillary Clinton. That, that part of the speech, 
For some reason, that hasn't been played very much. On uh, as a matter of fact, Desi Doyen, uh, my apologies for the echoey uh, quality of that sound. You had trouble finding Desi. You had trouble finding the full context of that speech. The the, the first part, the basket of deplorables, that was everywhere. Oh, that was everywhere. But yeah, it was really hard to find anybody who had the full context of the speech with good audio quality. So I had to go with literally the only one place I could find that had her full context. Yeah. Now. Um, <laughs> she, of course, has issued a, uh, a statement of regret, not an apology. And actually, I'll get to that uh, regret in a moment. But I want to uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates over at The Atlantic uh, d- responded to what uh, Hillary Clinton had to say. He wrote yesterday, Hillary Clinton claimed that roughly half of Trump supporters could be characterized as either racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Clinton hedged by saying that she was being grossly generalistic. But given that no one appreciates being labeled a bigot, that statement still feels harsh or, if you prefer, politically incorrect. Now, by the way, I don't think it feels harsh. I think it's right on the money. Uh, but I think his his point is good that it is politically incorrect, which, of course, we've been instructed uh, that, uh, Trump and his supporters. They're against political uh, correct uh, correctness, right? Seems like they would like something that was politically incorrect, but I guess not when it's used against them. Clinton later said, according to Coates, that she was wrong to say half, but reiterated that it's deplorable that Donald Trump campaign has built his that Donald Trump has built his campaign on prejudice and paranoia. One way of reporting on Clinton's statement is to weigh its political cost, which is what most have been doing in the media, asking what it means for her campaign or attempting to predict how it might affect her performance among certain groups. This path is in line with the current imperatives of political reporting, writes Coates, and at least for the moment seems to be the direction of the coverage. But there is another line of reporting that could be pursued, which was... The question of was Hillary Clinton being truthful or not? I would argue, of course, the answer is yes. And Coates finds uh, empirical evidence to support the fact that, yeah, Hillary Clinton was being truthful. Much like Trump's alleged opposition to the Iraq war, which he continues to lie about to this day, Coates says this is not an impossible claim to investigate. We know, for instance, nearly 60 percent of Trump supporters hold unfavorable views of Islam. Sixty percent. That's more than half. And 76 percent of Trump supporters support a ban on Muslims entering the United States. As far as I know, 76 percent is also more than half. Pretty big basket. We know that uh, these numbers are according to Reuters, by the way. We know that some 40 percent of Trump supporters believe blacks are more violent, more criminal, lazier and ruder than whites. That's 40 percent. Well, that's not half. I guess Hillary Clinton owes someone an apology. Uh, Two thirds. Two thirds. That's more than half, isn't it? Two thirds. Um, Yeah. yeah. Two thirds of Trump supporters believe that the first black president in this country's history is not American. Two thirds. Of Trump supporters. These claims are not ancillary to Donald Trump's campaign. Uh, Coates writes they are the driving force behind it. 
when Hillary Clinton claims that half of Trump supporters qualify as, quote, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, data is on her side. And data is indeed on her side, as he points out. And I could go through much more, many more polls showing the same thing. Half or more than half. Nonetheless, Clinton did offer a, uh, a, an apology of sorts. She uh, said, uh, last night I was, quote, grossly generalistic, and that's never a good idea. She said, I regret saying half. That was wrong. She says she shouldn't have said half of his supporters. She shouldn't have put a number on it. She said, but let's be clear. What's really deplorable is that Donald Trump hired a major advocate for the so-called from the so-called alt-right movement to run his campaign and that David Duke, former head of the Ku Klux Klan, and other white supremacists see him as a champion of their values. It's deplorable that Trump has built his campaign largely on prejudice and paranoia and given a national platform to hateful views and voices, including by retweeting fringe bigots with a, a few dozen followers and spreading their message to 11 million people. She said it's deplorable that he's attacked a federal judge for his Mexican heritage. He he bullied a gold star family because of their Muslim faith and promoted uh, the lie that our first black president is not a true American. She said, I won't stop calling out bigotry and racist rhetoric in this campaign. She said, I also meant what I said last night about empathy and the very real challenges we face as a country where so many people have been left out and left behind. As I said, many of Trump's supporters are hardworking Americans who just don't feel like the economy or our political system are working for them. I'm determined to bring our country together and make our economy work for everyone, not just those at the top, because we really are... Uh, as her slogan says, stronger together. So, of course, the media focused on the basket of deplorables. And when she came out with her statement, uh, her statement of regret, AP, Associated Press, uh, again, and I don't know what's up with AP lately, but they completely misreported her, her, her statement of regret. As soon as it came out, uh, they uh, they tweeted Hillary Clinton says she ha- she regrets calling Trump supporters basket of deplorables Says many are hardworking Americans. Well, if you read her statement, no, she did not say that she regretted that. She said she regretted saying half of his supporters were in that basket of deplorables. And by the way, she was she was right to say it. But AP misreported what she actually said. And 40 minutes later, they at least I should say 40 minutes later, in this case, they corrected, which is a problem they've had. I'll get to that in a moment. But at least in this case, AP did put out a correction 40 minutes later saying correction. Clinton says she regrets calling half of Trump supporters basket of deplorables. She says that uh, many are hardworking Americans. What the hell is going on with AP? Uh, well, anyway, we'll get to that, as I said, in a moment. Um, but uh, recent underreporting uh, has found that that Trump, Donald Trump, has ripped off other charities by taking money for his own charitable foundation to give away to others. 
while putting in none of his own money and taking credit for it, winning awards for it. Also, he took taxpayer money for uh, for uh, for 9-11 recovery, and then he lied about that to the public. He's also, uh, his charitable foundation was recently discovered to have illegally given money to the Florida Attorney General's political operation as she was considering an indictment against his Trump University scam. After which that Florida Attorney General, Pam Bondi, by the way, ended her investigation of the Trump University scam after she received that $25,000 illegally from Donald Trump's uh, charitable foundation. Trump ended up paying a penalty to the IRS for that illegal donation. But those are just those are just some of the actual crimes and other things that should be investigated by the media in addition to investigating Clinton's emails and the family's charitable foundations, you know, and about which I should note, because it keeps being mentioned when it comes to the Clinton Charitable Foundation, there has been no wrongdoing, no criminal wrongdoing has been found in regards to the uh, to the Clinton Global Initiative, this two billion dollar charity that has helped men, women and children around the world. So no uh, wrongdoing has been found there despite months and even years of investigation. And yet one thing after another after another has been found that is dubious, that is questionable, that is illegal, outright illegal by Donald Trump. Even as his supporters beat people up, set them on fire, burn down their places of worship as Donald Trump has largely been encouraging, but it's uh, but calling Donald Trump's supporters deplorable is a problem. Really? Really? So AP, uh, you know, whatever they have been up to, uh, they had finally this was yesterday. AP had finally deleted uh, a tweet two weeks later that had completely mischaracterized the Clinton family uh, uh, foundation, charitable foundation. They released a statement explaining their decision to delete that two week old tweet about Hillary Clinton's uh, meetings as a cabinet secretary. Uh, they after uh, basically they had reported that she had met with they had tweeted uh, that uh, more than half of those who met with Hillary Clinton as uh, as secretary of state had given money to the Clinton Foundation. That turned out to be completely untrue. Uh, they find uh, that the, the report actually didn't find that at all. It was a very small subset of people who Clinton met with who were not in government. Uh, one which the AP focused on was actually uh, was a Pulitzer Prize win- Nobel Peace Prize Nobel winner. Peace Prize yeah. winner who set up microloans in India and helped thousands upon thousands of poor people who she had known for years decades uh, who ended up giving money to the uh, to the foundation and the suggestion by AP was that oh this was a payoff somehow to get a meeting well this meeting uh, she had had many meetings with this same guy for years and years it took the AP two weeks. To get rid of that tweet, they admitted that it, quote, gave a distorted picture of the uh, former secretary of state, uh, Hillary Clinton, and uh, the meetings. And it was not backed up by the AP's own reporting. So all of that, the 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 email that we talked about yesterday, the email server that we talked about yesterday and, and uh, Colin Powell 
you know, being revealed by his own email to have encouraged Hillary Clinton to use a private server for much of her secretary of state business. Uh, that has been underreported. The fact that uh, there was actually no wrongdoing found in the Clinton Foundation, that has been underreported. And yet one problem with uh, Trump after another after another is found. It's sort of reported and then it's moved on to the next day. They don't hold congressional hearings about it. They're not talking about it day after day, week after week, month after month or year after year, as they are in the case of Hillary Clinton. And again, I'm not against them talking year after year and investigating what Hillary Clinton is doing uh, year after year. But, you know, with all this talk about a balance, a false balance that is being applied to the two candidates, oh, they're both the same. We really don't have it is false balance. It is not real balance, because if we had real balance, we would actually be applying uh, similar uh, investigations to what Donald Trump is up to. And the media simply is not doing so. And in the bargain, as we went through yesterday on this program, the polls are continuing to tighten between Trump and Clinton, both uh, nationally and at the state level. And if you dig down into those polls, it's less Clint, uh, Trump, uh, Trump rising and more Clinton falling. Citing questions about her email and questions about her charitable, uh, the Clinton Family uh, Foundation. Because she's untrustworthy because of these things. These things about which there is no wrongdoing that is found. Just amazing uh, to me how distorted the picture uh, of this election has become. And I don't know who to blame. I I want to blame the media. I believe it is the media's fault. They love to blame the uh, the voters. They love to say that, oh, Hillary Clinton, she's untrustworthy because of this and because of that. Well, where did the voters get that idea? They got it from the media. And... Uh, <laughs> Matthew Lewis, who's a, an energy client. I know we got to get to a break here. Matthew Lewis, he's a, a energy and climate change uh, a communications advisor uh, for for nonprofits out of Berkeley, California. He went on a tweet storm yesterday. I'll read just part of that tweet storm because I think he's right on point. He said, uh, and this was in response to this whole basket of deplorables. While there are a small portion of national of the national populace. Uh, these deplorables, they are easily 50 percent of Trump supporters. Trump is a white nationalist candidate, says Lewis. The long arc of history suggests this election is the last stand for the forces that lost the Civil War and the civil rights battles. But we are being fed a narrative that this election is about emails and foundations and deplorables. That's horrifically bad journalism tweets Lewis. If we had an even passable political press, we'd be seeing dozens of articles about how post-Civil War Reconstruction was a dismal failure. We'd be getting deep dive explanations of how uh, about a dozen state legislatures passed laws attempting to outlaw minority voting. Well, we've been doing a lot of those uh, explanations. We'd be getting in-depth analysis of how gerrymandering doomed the GOP to this fate. And yes, we would still see articles questioning the Clinton Foundation, relitigating Benghazi and emails and health and whatever else. But that's not what we're getting. A few articles on Trump's shady business dealings, occasional mentions of connections to Russia, none of which helps inform the voter as to what this election is really about, which is, in my not humble opinion, the press's primary job. 
He is absolutely right. That is the press's primary job, and it has been really hard, but we have been trying like hell to do uh, exactly that, to do that job here on the Bradcast and bradblog.com because I feel that is the press's primary job. We need to take a quick break. I know. A quick break and a quick breath, uh, and we'll be back uh, with more of our parade of deplorables because we are going to need a bigger basket. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, so I, I had a few more items here I want to finish up on this, uh, this, this basket of deplorables nonsense, utter nonsense. But, you know, it has been over the past two weeks. Uh, since this uh, AP put out their story about the Clinton Foundation and then refused to take down the tweet despite their own uh, their own reporters saying that it was misleading and sloppy and that it should have been taken down. They kept it up after uh, two weeks. It has been during those two weeks that we have seen the polls tighten between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and uh, see, you know, survey respondents saying that it's trust issues is one of the reasons that they're uh, moving away from Hillary Uh, The decision to delete that tweet at AP came after, quote, near unanimous agreement among journalists that the AP's tweet was inaccurate and was false. And after widespread criticism of the AP report itself, which provided no evidence of wrongdoing and scandalized the Clinton's efforts to aid a Nobel Peace Prize winner. They are now using that uh, report, by the way, House Republicans are, to call for an investigation into the Clinton Foundation because, of course, they are. That's what the Republicans do. They're going to continue to do that, and uh, they're going to continue to use this. uh, Really, they don't give a damn, obviously, about any actual concerns about the use of her foundation. Otherwise, they'd be calling for an investigation of Donald Trump, which I notice they haven't. But uh, anyway, that's what they're doing. And uh, they are just simply outraged, outraged that she would call them a basket of deplorables, despite all those things that I read at the top of the show, all of those deplorable things. Muslims being attacked, uh, Hillary Clinton being hung in effigy, uh, advisors of Donald Trump saying that uh, she should be uh, she should be shot. She should be tried for treason. And then uh, this was uh, last week. This uh, video has just uh, surfaced uh, flagged by Josh Marshall over at uh, TPM, the 
Kentucky, the Republican uh, governor of Kentucky, Tea Party favorite, Governor Matt Bevin, was speaking at the Family Research Council's Values Voters Summit last week. Uh, And this is uh, quite an American value, I guess, here where uh, Matt. Yeah, you had. Oh, I was just going to say say? that just just note that when Matt Bevin was speaking, this is the same day, the very same day that Hillary Clinton spoke with her basket of deplorables. Oh, was it really? Same day. The same day. Here's uh, Matt Bevin, governor of Kentucky, explaining what just may have to happen if Hillary Clinton is elected president of the United States. Somebody asked me yesterday, I did an interview, and they said, do you think it's possible if Hillary Clinton were to to, to win the election, do you think it's possible that we'll be able to survive, that would we ever be able to recover as a nation? And while there are people who have stood on this stage and said we would not, I would beg to differ, but I will tell you this. I do think it would be possible, but at what price? At what price? The roots of the tree of liberty are watered by what? The blood of who? The tyrants, to be sure, but who else? The patriots. Whose blood will be shed? It may be that of those in this room. It might be that of our children and grandchildren. I have nine children. It breaks my heart to think that it might be their blood that is needed to redeem something, to reclaim something that we, through our apathy and our indifference, have given away. Jesus. So his kids, his kids and his grandkids, if Hillary Clinton is elected, it won't be the end of the world, but it may require bloodshed to save the nation, the bloodshed of people in that room and their kids and their grandkids. If Hillary Clinton is elected president. Now, to be fair, he did say after he was asked about it, his campaign said that, oh, it's because he was referring to the military. They're talking about the military. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, when you actually look at the full context of his statements, uh-huh. he does reference the military a couple of sentences before that. OK. So but then he moves off onto this whole other thing about how his kids are going to have to do this. So. Okay, yeah. And, uh, well, there you go. So these are the, this is what is going on in these United States. And you wonder why the polls are tightening. I mean, one of the reasons they're tightening, frankly, Hillary Clinton, not a very good candidate, uh, in my opinion. But that's not why the polls are tightening. The polls are tightening, I would argue, because the media is doing such a horrible job of reporting on the two candidates. Our friend uh, Heather Digby Parton wrote a little bit about this yesterday in a story over at Hullabaloo uh, with the title, The Country We Deserve. And she said that uh, voters, uh, she cites this, uh, this Politico report, which is sort of a, a brilliant exercise in this false equivalency, this false balance. And that uh, voters, when you ask them, uh, that, that, that they're just uh, they're not all that interested in what Hillary Clinton has to say. And they are. Mo- but mostly when they hear about Donald Trump and something that he has done wrong or said wrong or, you know, has said that's offensive that they decide, oh, that's just Trump being Trump. We'd show voters stupid things. This is according to uh, one uh, Democratic operative who has observed uh, Clinton focus groups. We'd show voters stupid things that Donald Trump said, and the voters would say, yeah, well, that's just Trump being Trump. It was a fairly common response, and this uh, Democratic operative notes it was horrifying. 
This because voters, uh, so many voters appear willing to forgive his insulting rhetoric and policy ignorance. And that uh, Politico says has been borne out by public and private focus groups. So it's the voters fault, according to Politico. People are willing to give him a pass because he doesn't have a career in service, said uh, an advisor to Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign. People have such low expectations because his campaign has been so dysfunctional that when they run like a normal campaign should run, people tend to give give them a lot of credit. So there's a relativism here, they say. And this is why, you know, the way political explains this. Oh, it's the voters. They don't care. They're cool with it. They're fine. Our friend Digby writes, the race is close. I think the media is going to have to do some soul searching about how they are covering this. Yes, I'm sure the voters are giving him a pass for things they don't give anyone else a pass on. But the media has normalized him in a hundred different ways and just shrugging it off as something the voters don't care about is not sufficient, she writes. They worked very hard to balance the coverage with excessive attention to Clinton's much less threatening flaws. And that has had a pernicious effect on the coverage. It's obvious, she writes, that they are in the media are in denial about this. Indeed, they are now in full fledged blame the victim mode. It's Hillary Clinton's fault and it's the voters fault. Punishing the country by enabling this authoritarian freak show to become president just isn't right, she says. Their kids have to live here, too. And I can't imagine that all of their rationalizing on November 8th about what a flawed candidate Clinton was will make up for what comes after. This is not politics as usual, she writes. And according to the governor of Kentucky, This is not politics as usual, and it's going to be his children and his grandchildren who are going to have to spill blood uh, to set things right in the uh, in the unfortunate event that Hillary Clinton is elected president of the United States. A quick break and we're back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by Bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. It's hard. It's not easy. Welcome back. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Trying to find something, anything, anything at all that's positive. Actually, we do have some positive news today. Oh, good. Uh, from AP. You're welcome. Uh, Americans finally got a raise uh, last year. After eight years of stagnating incomes, the Census Bureau now says that the typical U.S. household income rose 5.2% in 2015. 5.2% in 2015. That's a big jump, actually. Uh, The medium U.S. household income to $56,500. That is still below the median household income 
from 2007, which was $57,500 or so, when the Great Recession, before the Great Recession began. Um, but at least it's, uh, it's beginning to move. The median point, of course, is where half of households fall below and half are above. The proportion of Americans in poverty also fell sharply last year as 2.2.5 million more people found full-time year-round jobs. The poverty rate was uh, 13.5% in 2015. That's a drop of 1.2 percentage points from 2014. Uh, So that's good. That's the largest decline in poverty since 1999. There were, however, 43.1 million people in poverty in the U.S., That's three and a half million fewer than we saw uh, in people in poverty than in 2014. That's good. Three and a half million fewer people in poverty. But still in the United States of America, 43 million people in positive uh, in uh, in poverty. I know. I know when you look more closely at the uh, that the graphs and the the, Mm -hmm. the, the data, it shows that in the south, Mm -hmm. the lowest gains Against poverty, we're in the South. In the Republican areas. Yes. Where they're busily voting against their own best interest. And also they're, they're yeah. sicker, too. There's also data yeah. that shows that they are less well, that they have different, more difficult uh, time accessing health care, and they're just overall less healthy I wonder why the they South. have I wonder why they have such a difficult time accessing health care in the South for some odd reason. And then when you also look at the data, you notice yeah. that of those 43 million Americans that are still in poverty, yeah. a majority of them are children. But this was supposed to be our our positive story. (laughs) Remember, look how quickly it turned negative. Anyway, there is some uh, there is some good news that, uh, you know, you think the the media would be all over. We'll see uh, how they react to this news today coming out from the U.S. uh, Census Bureau that things are finally beginning to turn up a little bit. Um, okay, but uh, we can't. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to stay positive. Okay, but there is a super typhoon, which is the largest one we have seen. It is uh, maximum sustained winds of 185 miles per hour that is heading towards Taiwan. This is the strongest storm in the Western Pacific since Super Typhoon Haiyan, which devastated the Philippines. Uh, in uh, in 2013, wind gusts in the storm's most intense inner core are estimated to be above 220 miles per hour, which would be capable of stripping trees of their leaves and producing catastrophic damage on most human-made structures. You familiar with this? Super Typhoon uh, Maranti. It uh, beat out Super Typhoon Nepartak, which had 180 mile per hour winds, and Cyclone Winston, which also peaked at 180 miles per hour to become the strongest storm of 2016 so far. Yes, I have heard of this uh, super typhoon Haiyan ty- ty- just for uh, scale. That killed about 6,000 people in the Philippines when it hit, especially in the area because it hit a low-lying area where they had not va- evacuated enough people and had not built enough storm-sturdy structures. Taiwan is a uh, bit more advanced when it comes to emergency response and emergency preparedness, so fingers crossed that they'll be okay. The uh, Andrew Friedman reports that the storm has had 185 mile per hour winds or greater for at least 18 hours. He describes that as remarkable and a feat only accomplished by two other known super typhoons uh, in that ocean basin since 1970, according to storm researcher uh, researchers at uh, Colorado State University. 
So uh, Maranti apparently poses a very serious threat to southwestern Taiwan with two million residents of Kaohsiung City, uh, which is the second most populous city on the island. The eye may just stay off the coast. Extremely, uh, nonetheless, extremely strong hurricane force winds will lash the coastline. This is the fourth Category 5 storm on the planet in 2016. And this comes after NASA, I believe, just yesterday or, or so, uh, found uh, August, what is it, the hottest August ever recorded on the planet Earth? Yes, it's not just the hottest August of all Augusts. It is the hottest month ever recorded in human history, tying with July 2016 for the hottest month ever recorded in July, in, uh, in human history. And the, the weird thing about this is uh, what makes it extra disturbing is that there is no El Nino going on mm-hmm. right now in the Western Pacific yep. to heat things up. And so the fact that you know, normally, so this heat, they used to blame month after month after month over the past year because we now had, what, 12 st- straight months yes. of, of the hottest month ever. They used to blame that on, well, it's El Nino, but El Nino has gone. Right. El Nino is gone. And it's really weird to have August be that hot. What happens is usually July, which is, you know, is the hottest month of the year. But it's very weird for August to then also be the hottest month. It, it doesn't usually do that. It normally drops in temperature after July. And this is just record after record, month after month after month of the hottest weather ever. Hottest climate ever, I should say, across the across the globe. And uh, still... No real discussion about this in the presidential debate. Oh, none at uh, all. Debates. In fact, we thought I thought that there might be some discussion in the commander in chief forum regarding yeah, you know the military week. and foreign policy last week. Not a word about it. Didn't come up. No questions, despite the fact that uh, the military continues to say this is. What are the greatest threats we face? Oh, yeah. The director of national intelligence at a conference last week said exactly that. He was asked by an audience member at the conference, what do you think is this is the uh, most dangerous uh, challenge that we face? And he said climate change. So this is where we are. We have a media that won't talk about these things, that won't cover these issues. And these are very serious, very real issues. And, you know, as I always say, if you don't know what the problem is, you cannot be prepared to solve it. All right. So since this was supposed to be a segment on the positive, (laughs) let let me let me just uh, close it out with this. Uh, A decade ago, California vowed to dramatically slash greenhouse gas emissions by 2020. We covered this a few weeks ago uh, as the bill was passed. Well, now it's been signed. Uh, So, okay, California had a plan a few uh, a decade ago to slash greenhouse emissions by 2020. And uh, with our state, I'm proud to say, uh, with the state of California now on pace to meet that target, Jerry Brown late last week uh, signed uh, a new goal to further uh, to further cut carbon pollution by extending and expanding the landmark climate change law. This law, he says, will keep California on the move to clean up the environment. Uh, He said uh, before signing a pair of bills that survived heavy opposition from the oil industry, from business groups and from Republicans. So experts uh, said that this could be a much tougher goal, but it will be the goal here is to reduce emissions 40 percent below 1990, uh, below 1990 levels by 2013. It's 2030. uh, I'm sorry. Yes. By 2030. So. Reduce emissions 40 percent below the level that they were back in 1990 and to do that by the year 2030. 
So we, the the current goal was to uh, reduce emissions to 1990 levels by 2020, and apparently we are on target to do exactly that. We already did it. We did it. It's done. Yeah. And now, uh, so now we have this additional forty uh, percent below that level. Um, now. This is something that uh, Republicans will tell us it can't possibly be done. It will destroy the economy. It will send us back to the Stone Age. But guess what? California's economy has gone through the roof since this was put in place. Yes, we're actually booming. And it has a lot to do with a lot of different factors. But part of that has been the California legislature setting these very ambitious goals. Governor Jerry Brown signing these very ambitious goals, with then, which then create certainty for businesses and innovators. And it forces industry to innovate to meet these new standards, which then creates jobs that can't be outsourced and things that have to be built to meet these new pollution standards. These are all things that boost the economy. Surprise! Surprise. They do boost the economy. I think California is now, what, the sixth largest? Yeah. If we were a country alone, we, are, we would now be the sixth largest country in the world. Via, by the economy, uh, By yes. our, our economy, right? And that has moved up over this period that we were supposed to be uh, going back to the Stone Age because, God forbid, we are reducing our emissions. For, if, anybody out there listening who buys that con by now that we cannot survive uh, without oil, oil, without coal, without gas, that we cannot move to renewables. If you are out there still buying that con, my God, are you dumb. Don't fall for it. Uh, and by the way, that includes Democrats. This uh, There was going to be a stronger version of this bill, but it failed last year after business-friendly Democrats in the California State Assembly uh, derailed an even more ambitious proposal to limit the use of oil in this state. So it's going to take a while. We're going to have some very difficult times in the days ahead, uh, but it can be done. At least we can try to make it be done. Yeah, and it's exactly the thing that Bernie Sanders was campaigning on, that Martin O'Malley was campaigning on, and which Hillary Clinton has eventually adopted as part of her campaign, that acting on climate change, innovating on energy efficiency, is the greatest business opportunity approaching the level of the Internet and the level of the telephone uh, that 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 we could have this opportunity to to grasp right now, and right now Germany and China are taking the lead away from us, instead of us doing it. Yeah, working on it. That's our producer Desi Doyen. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, uh, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it at bradblog.com for free. Stop by iTunes if you prefer. You can subscribe uh, for free over there to get our programs every day. Leave us a uh, a nice review while you're there. Make it a little easier for everyone else to find it. And thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us do what we try to do every day on your public airwaves. You can also drop me email on bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Twitters and the Facebooks, you can find me at the thebradblog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.